0: Matt Moscona, host of After Further Review. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time, and I'm sure it's a really crazy time for you guys right now.
1: It's never boring here, that's for sure. It's my (laughs) pleasure. Thanks for being invite,
0: guys. And the news, I mean, just following some of your stuff, not overly surprising uh, that uh, that LSU decides to move on from Ed Orgeron. And you had spoken uh, last week about the fact that you kind of saw this coming in terms of he's going to finish out the year with the team – what do you think went into that thought process? Because I know a lot of people think it's kind of like breaking up with somebody and still living in the same house.
1: Yeah, it is kind of odd. Um, so there is precedent for it. Um, LSU's athletic director, Scott Woodward, when he was at the University of Washington, did the same thing when he had Tyrone Willingham there as his coach in 2008. Uh, after the seventh game, they um, – they announced that Willingham would not return but would finish the season. So there's a couple of reasons why you might do it that way. The most obvious is that LSU just doesn't have a really good option for an interim head coach, which is a big right. reason why this is going the like way it has. Um, it, back in 2016, when Les Miles was fired, you had Ed Ogeron, who had been an interim coach, had been a head coach. Sure. So that makes sense. The other thing is it is LSU's administration – uh, cover now to go begin a coaching search in earnest and not wait until you know, Thanksgiving when, when the regular season ends. You don't have the speculation from now until the end of the year about will he be fired or won't he, where the narrative be, had become more about that than it had about the games. So it does answer a lot of questions um, and change the narrative a bit uh, for the remainder of the season.
0: And still five games on the schedule and some massive games coming up uh, on that schedule. But when you look at the program itself, this is a reset and, and, but the lifeblood of any college football team is recruiting. How bad do you think this affects it? Or do you think with him staying on and some of those guys on staff, maybe trying to keep their jobs, how do you think this affects their recruiting?
1: Sure. I, I think that's a, that's one of the key points also why you make the announcement now Um because it allows LSU to be transparent with recruits where you can say, I mean, you can paint the picture hypothetically where let's say LSU and Georgia were going head to head for, for a recruit. Well, Kirby or his staff could say, why would you go there? You don't know if, if your coach is going to be there. Uh, Now you don't have that. There's transparency there with recruits where LSU's administrators can say to recruits, here's who we're looking at. This is the process we're following. We'll have a coach in place. This is what we're thinking. Um, it's not, it's obviously not an ideal situation, especially with the December signing period. This used to be a less of a right. big deal whenever it was in February, but now with the December signing period, it's, it's sort of um, rushed that process, which is a big part of the reason also why you do it now. It might help you keep this recruiting class together.
0: How will LSU fans remember Ed Orgeron and his tenure? Because a lot of people have compared it to what happened with Gene Chizik at Auburn. I mean, obviously there's a lot of parallels. You have a transitional – or a, just a transformational quarterback talent transfer into your program. You go undefeated and win a national championship. And then a couple years later, you're out of a job. But, I mean, 15-0 and and maybe the best team ever. I feel like you give it a couple years, fans are going to look back fondly on Ed Orgeron.
1: Yeah, the – the comparisons are are fair with with Chizik and how that played out. Um, the circumstances might not be complete apples to apples, but I do think mostly LSU fans are just going to revere 2019. Okay, um, you're, you're already starting to hear a lot of that that chatter around Baton Rouge, where this you know, Ed's firing felt like an inevitability, um, even last year. You know, coming into this season, it it just felt like with a new athletic director you know who didn't hire him a lot of off the field stuff going on um, that one misstep and certainly a lackluster season he'd be out so fa- i think fans have been preparing themselves for this but guys to, to witness 2019 was just yeah. something that few fans ever actually get to experience not just a, a championship but something of, of that caliber which you know is is in the conversation on the shortlist for the greatest team and greatest season in the history of the sport. So certainly I made mean, a that's If you trade the other, all the muck for that one shiny yeah. toy, man, I think college fans would take it a hundred times out of a hundred.
0: Now I'm sure there's millions of words being written about this uh, as we speak. And have probably already been published, but the best you can, if you could just summarize why you felt like it was a given Edward Orgeron would probably be fired this season.
1: Oh, I need a lot of words for that. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, you can start with the fact, obviously, that he was working for an athletic director that didn't hire him. Yeah. So every AD wants to look at football coaching. Hire is a legacy hire for an athletic director. And Scott Woodward is an LSU alum and, you know, came back here ultimately to to, to do this. Um, it, the other part of it is just that there have been so many things away from the field that have magnified the pressure of the result on the field. The LSU is in the middle of a Title IX investigation. Ed Ogeron is a defendant in two Title IX lawsuits. Um, There have been too many instances of public relations disasters. Ed Ogeron taking pictures in bed with women and stories now leaking of him having girlfriends at practice with their kids and... um, when some might think he would be working, he's at a casino pool with the woman in a bikini running shirtless on the beach. I mean, guys, there's, there's so many of these that I'm not here to judge anybody. You know, Ed's a single man who can live his life the way he wants. But I think you also have to remember that when you're the head coach at LSU, you're the highest paid employee in the state. You are the face of not only the football program, but the university. And there's an expectation. You carry yourself a certain way. And, he didn't do that. There was too too much of that. And when you have that, the Title IX um, lawsuits, last summer in our country with the George Floyd protest, there was a lot of racial unrest, and Ed lost his locker room amid all of that. Um, and it's hard to come back from that once you, once you, you know, walk down that road and broken that trust. All of those things on top of the issues they've had on the field. We haven't even talked about the right. failed coordinator hire, how much money that's cost LSU. I mean, the, the, the evidence was, was massive and he needed a, a contending season and he just didn't get it.
0: Yeah. And now four and three does, it was interesting timing. Cause you get a massive win uh, over Florida and a, what, 11 o'clock your time game, I know a noon game for us on the East Coast, but just an awesome game back and forth, Uh, and then you get the news shortly thereafter uh, that he's not coming back. But now the question turns to who's going to be the next guy. I know there's already all kinds of betting odds out. Uh, Lane Kiffin is the number one on all of the betting lists that I've seen so far. Obviously, Jimbo Fisher is always going to be a name that's mentioned. Is it absolutely going to be a head coach? Or do you see LSU maybe dipping into the coordinator? Because in my opinion, this is one of the jobs in the country where you can kind of do like the Mr. Steal your coach, where it doesn't matter where they're coaching. This is LSU. We are a premier job and we can go plug people from anywhere.
1: Yeah. I know that's how LSU views it. Certainly. Um, you know LSU has um, has a lot of built-in advantages. It is the it's the only Power Five in a talent-rich state, which puts more guys in the NFL per capita than any state in the country. Um, you have resources from facilities and um, salaries and any type of financial resources you need. Um, and LSU is, aside from Alabama, the only school uh, that's won three national titles since 2003. I mean, LSU's last three coaches have all played four-and-one national titles, right. So there's a ton to sell. Um, also keep in mind, LSU's athletic director, Scott Woodward, he is a big game hunter, man. When he was at Washington, he got Chris Peterson away from Boise. When he was at A&M, he hired Jimbo Fisher. Uh, since he's been at LSU, he hired Kim Mulkey, three-time national championship winning coach, away from Baylor to come coach LSU. Hmm. Scott is smart and tactful and generally gets what he wants and um i'll be interested to see what direction this turns and i will i will say you know lsu has a new university president as well who just got in place in may uh william tate is his name and uh came from south carolina incidentally um and president tate is the first black president in the history of lsu and it is something that has being certainly talked about in circles that he has a strong desire for this to be a legacy hire to the first minority head football coach at LSU. And I think there was a very real, uh, and and not to say that that would ever be the only criteria by which you make a a hire, but I think there was a very real interest in in making that happen, which you're going to see uh, James Franklin, Mel Tucker names prominently mentioned in this search. Now it's, Mentioning a name and and getting across the finish line and signing a contract or or, almost yeah. lifetimes apart sometimes, <laughs> but but those are considerations um, with with this job. But to the question, will it be a coordinator? Most certainly, it will not. It, it will be someone with head coaching experience.
0: What about for Matt Muscona though? Like, what who's on your wish list?
1: So I gotta have to say, like, what's realistic, right? I mean, yeah. Nick Saban. Not rude. Nick Saban. Yeah, be that's on my number one on
0: everybody's team. wish list. Yeah.
1: Right. Um, you know, a name like Urban Meyer would fit the bill, but remember LSU has a, um, yeah, has the, the middle list Title IX lawsuit. Yeah. I get the sense that this is going to be a squeaky clean hire, which would take guys like Hugh Freeze and Urban Meyer and essentially, you know, scratch them off the list. Um, you know, for me, I think an offensive-minded coach with a proven track record as a head coach would be incredible, especially with someone who knew how to win in the sec. So for me, I'd give you two names. I would tell you Lane Kiffin or James Franklin. I mean, either one yeah. of those guys, I mean, I'd almost walk to the airport <laughs> to, to pick up, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like um, I think either one of those guys would, would just, with the resources they would have here would just crush it here.
0: All right. And, qu- and quickly here, cause I know you got a role. Uh, we're obviously home of Georgia uh, in Savannah and I just got to get the outside opinion because we sit on here and talk every day, and they kind of have to pump me up because I'm always the pessimistic waiting for the other shoe to drop. But from the outside looking in, h- how good is this Georgia team? Because I know the running joke ha- had been since Kirby Smart got there, yeah, you're really good in the East, and then you would go on a road game in the West and just get absolutely smacked. You think about uh, 2019 uh, against LSU and the SEC Championship and then 2018 at LSU where Georgia just got smacked in back-to-back games. But from the outside looking in, how good is this Georgia team?
1: Uh, I can understand that that feeling actually, because you got about forty years to validate it. Yeah. Um, but I, I Georgia is the best team in the country by by a long, long shot. You know, I'm I'm curious how the narrative around Georgia might be different had Bama not rallied with Tua in seventeen. Um, you know, if Kirby had gotten him one and had beaten Nick, the whole assistant coach not to beat Sabin narrative would be would have been over. And that, a, anyway. This Georgia team in particular, especially to be doing it without JT Daniels and all the other guys that are injured, I mean, you guys know better than me, but I would assume at some point that that encyclopedia yeah, it's nuts. list of, of injured players, like some of those guys are going to be coming back. I know the, the defensive back, the All-American from uh, Tyke Smith. Yeah, Smith, Smith yeah. Um, I mean, I just look at Georgia and I go, they're only going to get better because they're going to get healthier. And, man, if if someone stands in front of that freight train and stops it, I'll be surprised, especially in a year where it doesn't seem like there's a real contender.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, Georgia has, has been the one consistent we can rely on week in and week out. Uh, got a bye week with Florida coming up. Matt Moscona, 104.5 ESPN in Baton Rouge. Uh, after further review, you can listen to him from 3 to 6 Central time, uh, and you can follow him on Twitter at Matt, M-O-S-C-O-N-A. Matt, we really appreciate the time, man. Look forward uh, to watching LSU and what develops with them, and hopefully talk to you again soon.
1: My pleasure. Thanks, guys.